Welcome to Season 1, Episode 17 of Grace or Grit, a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues, or maybe difficult people, whatever the case may be, related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley, and I serve as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. Along with me today, as always, is my co-host, Patrick Reed. He's a pre-field missionary with ABWE on deputation trying to get to the Gambia in Africa. And he also serves on the pastoral staff here with me in Herlock. And I heard he has gained a percentage point. He's at 86% now trying to get the financial means to get to Africa. How are you this morning, Patrick? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Man, I'm doing great. I got to sleep in a little bit this morning, so uh, I'm feeling rested. And then joining us today for our discussion is a gentleman who I met a few years ago in a local coaching network of pastors. You may not know what that is. I did not know what it was until I joined it. In fact, I was in it for a little bit before I figured out what it was. And he's the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Pocomoke City, Maryland. Pastor Ayer, welcome to Grace or Grit. How are you today? I'm fine. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, pastor Wayne Ayer, I think I left your first name out. So, Pastor Ayer, for the sake of our listeners uh, who may not know you, would you mind taking a few minutes and telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, your testimony, your ministry there in Pocomoke, whatever, whatever you like? Sure. Well, I was uh, born in Nova Scotia, Canada, on the East Coast. Nova Scotia and New Brunswick border each other, along with a province called Prince Edward Island. Uh, if you ever read any books by Anna Green Gables, uh, perhaps your kids have, uh, that's that part of the world. And uh, born in one, and raised in a wonderful Christian home uh, under the precepts of Scripture, I never knew a day that the Bible was not the final authority in, 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 in my home growing up. And I'm not afraid of my testimony. I'm grateful for it. Good and godly heritage has been handed down to me. I don't have any sad stories. I don't, I don't have any, you know, drinking and chewing and going with girls that do. I don't have anything like that. I just grew up, I just grew up right. And um, my parents loved the Lord, uh, served God in the local church there. And my dad really turned on for God uh, in the, uh, in the nineties and took a staff role in a church. Uh, actually it was, it was in a custodial janitorial role, but he was just such a, he just was such a lover of Jesus that he really almost became like a part of the pastoral staff of just people really looked to him and direction and, uh, Highfield street Baptist, which was called Highfield street United Baptist church at that time, uh, became a real preparation place for me you know god is always preparing you for what he's preparing for you and so got in a great youth group with a youth pastor by the name of chuck murray and uh anyways just got my salvation with christ settled where i came to a place in my life where i trusted the lord jesus christ as my personal savior and invited him to forgive my sin and, and by faith be the leader of my life and so i uh, grew up with with sisters two two older sisters two younger sisters and i was uh Definitely a great agitator in the home. I, uh, you know, I wasn't always the, you know, the, the perfect little church kid. I'd get up in the morning, go in the restroom or bathroom, excuse me, we call them bathrooms in Canada, get up and go to the bathroom, take my Tonka trucks in there on a Sunday morning. And every time my sisters would bang on the door and I'd walk over and flush the toilet, tell them I'm not done yet. And go back to playing with my trucks on the floor, just so I could irritate them, just so I could fire them up and, uh, you know, I was just, I was just an agitator and I had to grow out of that. And, um, but no, coming back to Chuck Murray, uh, Chuck started to, uh, 
take the youth group in a different direction. And that was a ministry direction. We didn't, we would, we would really have a more of a training, almost like a Bible college on Wednesday nights and kids would come. They loved it called young ambassadors. And we had different uh, electives that you could go be a part of. You could go to puppets. You could go to handbells. Uh, you could go to preaching. You could go to drama. You could go to worship team. Uh, and if you came Wednesday night, you were in one of those. If you didn't want to go to one of those, you were put in one of those. And uh, Chuck would have an opening music and preaching, and, and then we would move to the different electives. And then on the weekends, we'd go out and do ministry in churches that were struggling. And so at the age of 12, I'm preaching. Uh, for the very first time in front of my, you know, we, we would uh, have youth services and my first ever sermon was the sower and the seed. And um, at the age of 12, I'm sitting on the platform of these big, big crown chairs there at Highfield street, United Baptist church. My feet don't even touch the floor and I'm getting up, getting ready to get up and preach with Dave Tucker and Brent and Brent George. And we're going to share the story of the good Samaritan. And um, you know, and each one of us is going to take a character priest, Levite, and the Good Samaritan. Then Pastor Chuck jumped up in the end of the service and, and concluded it all. And then God just started working on my heart, just started really, you know, putting in, in, my, in my spirit, I'm calling you to this. This is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. And, and so I just really started to fall in love with the local church, fall in love with the Bible, fall in love, of course, with Jesus. And, and, and through that entire journey, graduated from high school and immediately went into Bible college there in Canada at the Brunswick Bible Institute, which was a, was a solid, fundamental, independent Baptist school. They call themselves non-denominational, but, you know, they were King James and, and um, took a four-year course there and biblical and theological studies. Came out of that, graduated on Sunday, became the pastor of Middlesex United Baptist Church on Monday. Um, <laughs> And um, we, uh, we uh, you know, serve the Lord. And here's, here's what I discovered. You know, single in ministry, David, is, is, is super hard. You think it's difficult right now. Trying to be single in ministry, trying to pastor a church that has an evangelistic heart kind of pastor. So I'm reaching these people for Jesus. I'm knocking on doors. I'm doing all these things I've been taught to do. I'm attack, attacking hell with a squirt gun, but it's more hurting me than helping me because i got people coming to me with questions I can't answer. Can't answer questions about relationships. I can't answer questions about. I mean, I couldn't find anybody around that hard up to marry me. So, you know, you went. I went through four years of Bible school, New Brunswick Bridal Institute, and it didn't come out that way. So, I mean, I didn't even date anybody in Bible college. So, you know, um, so now I'm a pastor, and you know, and so I recognized one day this this is something that I cannot do, and God put it in my heart that, you know, I go work at UPS or do something else in my life, and so. Um, I resigned right out of nowhere. Just was, was I did not. I, I I actually said from the pulpit that day. I remember being uh, 19 years of age and saying, "I've taken this church as far as I can take it." Place place was packed. There were people, young families. I mean, it was great. We could have we could have done amazing. If I would just learn to trust God and not trust Wayne, those are things I had to work through in the ministry, you know. And uh, so I went to work for UPS and. Um, during that time, just look for an associate pastor position. And of all things, ended up on a website called Youth Specialties. And um, through that website, ended up in Fresno, California, at the great Sarah Hills Baptist Church. Can you believe that? That's God. And um, ended up at Sarah Hills Baptist Church as pastor of worship and youth. And make a long story short, uh, 
a deacon came to me and he said, hey, my daughter wants to get some pen pals. You're the youth pastor. Can you go check out this particular website? Well, in order for me to check out this website, I had to build a profile. You know how that all is. And so I built this profile. And next thing you know, you know, I've got this young lady from Santa Cruz, California, who wants to have a conversation, wants to talk, wants to lean in. And, 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 and anyways, we, we start talking, we start sharing. And next thing you know, I meet my wife on the internet because there's nobody around that hard up. So anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't send pictures to each other or anything like that because you just didn't, and we didn't have webcams. We just, she called me up one day and she said, I'm going to make the four hour trip from Santa Cruz, California to Fresno. And I'm coming to see you. It was a Mother's Day Sun or Super Super Bowl, excuse me. It was a Super Bowl Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. Hey, Mother's Day, Super Bowl, same thing. Yeah. Hey, but anyways, uh, uh, she uh, she she and I were married in uh, in in 2000, and we have uh, three wonderful Christian Christian children. We have a 16 year old who's made his decision to trust Christ as his Savior. A 14 year old young lady named Naomi, and she's made her decision to trust Christ. And then nine year old Matthew who just recently has made his decision to make Christ the Lord his life and is waiting to be baptized as soon as we get back in the sanctuary. So here we are in Pocomoke City, Maryland, and say, okay, so how do you end up there? Well, that's a story in itself too. Just the leading of God, uh, trying to stay yielded to him, but also just never have escaped my burden and my desire uh, to lead turnaround churches. I just, I absolutely am addicted. The farther down a place is, the, 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 the further a particular church has gone and, and is declining, the greater you get to see who God is in that church and help those people see who God is. And so I've really been just passionate. So I, that's what I've been doing for the last <clears throat> 20 years of my life it, it is, is leading to turnaround churches and um, enjoying the journey. It's been it's been awesome, and here I am again, leading a turnaround church in, in Pocomoke City, Maryland. So, that's how been, many years you've been in Pocomoke now? Five. Five years. Yep. Good deal. Yep. So. Well, I always enjoy uh, listening to uh, the description of how God has worked in people's lives, um, and that's been one of the great blessings of this podcast. Is uh, you know, there's people that I know just by rubbing shoulders with them in ministry and I know their name and their church. Uh, maybe I've heard them preach, but I really don't know the story behind it in a lot of cases. And uh, so encouraging really just drives me to worship. Uh, our, our wise God knows what he's doing and he can, he can make a story any way he wants. And it's uh, it's always amazing to me. Amen. So the topic of discussion for today is one suggested by our guest. Um, I, typically send out a list. Not always. Sometimes I pick a topic and say, Hey guy, I want you to talk about this, but I typically send out a list of potential topics to our potential guests. And uh, then at the end, I'll, I'll say something like, you know, Hey, if there's something else you, you prefer to talk about, we'll see if we can work it in. And so the topic that Wayne has submitted for today is how to keep a 2020 vision of God in 2020. Mm-hmm. So tentatively, I'm calling it vision or imagination. We'll see how uh, that goes. But why don't you speak to it first, Wayne? I've certainly got my ideas of what this is all about. But when you sent me the topic and title, um, the subject matter, the issue, 
what was the burden on your heart that you're like, this is what needs to be said? What were you talking about? Well, I think uh, personally that uh, a man or a woman of God who has a clear vision of God uh, is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. Uh, that's where I would begin. Um, it, it, I believe that as pastors right now, as local, as local church pastors, uh, one of the great burdens that I carry is helping people to not have a 2020 vision of God. I believe a lot of people have spiritual eyesight. It's keeping it. It's it, it's it's keeping it fresh. It's keeping it real. And uh, Dr. Clarence Sexton, who has been a, a tremendous influence in my life, has said it simply this way: the clearer vision of God you have, the clearer everything else in your Christian life will be. And I have locked I have locked onto that, and I am passionate about it uh, because I believe this. I, I don't I don't hear a lot of people blaspheming God today. You know, you can go you can go to YouTube and you can see a thing that came around. I think it was maybe in uh, 2010, thir- somewhere around 2010, all the way through 2013, where there was a thing on YouTube called the Blasphemy Challenge. You may have seen it, and it was a mm-hmm. real eye-opener to seeing all these young people blaspheming God. I don't see young people blaspheming God. I see them losing their perception of who he is and the devil distorting that, devaluing it, uh, disrupting it, and causing you to get your eyes off of who, G- who, who, who Jesus is and how he works in our lives. And so uh, the clearer your vision of God is, the clearer everything else in your Christian life be. And that's everything. You know, so often I, I think, David and, and Patrick, I think that so often in my own life, and I, and I can only speak for me and testimony of my life, is when something happens in my life as far as conduct, something happens in my life as far as uh, speech, something happens in my life as far as, as failing God, and, and you're listening to somebody today who fails God regularly, disappoints God regularly. Uh, does not is not the husband he should be, the dad he should be, not pastor he should be. In fact, if we were real honest, if our people really knew who we were, they would cause it. They would ask us to resign tomorrow. I mean, let's let's just face it: we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And so, thank God for His grace and His mercy. And uh, oftentimes, growing up and in my journey, I've always wanted to get back to fixing the outcome of that. Well, the next time I see that person, I'll just be nicer. Uh, the next time that I'm interacting in in my conversation and that kind of thing rouse me up, I'll try to have a different word or, or whatever the case may be. And 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 if we understand who God is and our clearer vision of God, uh, you know, a clearer vision of God determines everything else in our Christian lives, then we'll stop focusing on the outcome and and zero in on the origin. The reason. Right. The reason you don't have the right kind of speech, the reason that you've lost your perspective, the reason that you're not where you need to be is because you have lost your vision of God. And so I don't think it's so much you having one as God's people today. It's keeping it. And so I've got a real burden to, for that in my own life, for that in my own home. Uh, how do you keep a 2020 vision of God in 2020? And, you know, um, in just a few minutes, you know, if I was preaching this morning, and I'm not, but if I was preaching this morning, you should be able to know when I get done, Patrick, when you get done sharing your testimony and your, your missions presentation and you're done speaking and David, you're done preaching, somebody ought to be able to conclude that is a man with a big vision of God or that is a man with a small vision of God. 
And okay. I think that's what people need. And that's just where my, that's where my burden is. I, I think Satan has not succeeded in getting people to blaspheme God, but he has succeeded in distorting God's people's perception of God. So here's what I think is uh, controversial about that. I think a lot of Christians that I bump into and minister to and minister with are very satisfied with their vision of God. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me that I don't see God clearly. Uh, I've been in church for this number of years. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm just fine. Um, so when I hear, when I read the phrase vision of God, there's actually two different things going on in my mind. Vision of God is in what does God see from his perspective, right? Yep. Uh, not just currently, but for the future. What is his vision for the church? What is his vision for me? What is he trying to accomplish in me? And as he reveals that vision, he's revealing himself. And then I will perceive him correctly. I will perceive him more clearly. And as I see him high and lifted up, as I see him holy, as I see him um, all benevolent, that's a term I heard used yesterday. I don't think I'd ever heard it before. Uh, Omnibenevolent was the term that I heard. As I see the reality of who he is, then it's going to impact my priorities. It's going to impact the way I behave. So God's God's vision of me, God, how he sees me, how he sees us, how he sees the world, uh, how he reveals his perspective to us and changes our perspective as we see him uh, as he really is. Uh, I believe that Christianity as a whole uh, does not see God very accurately. And I think a lot of people would disagree with that. So that may be the controversy we've got here. Um, what do you think, Patrick? Is there is there anything that would make anybody do anything other than fall asleep when you start talking about the vision of God? Well, I think it uh, comes down to what what does this look like, practically speaking? You know, um, how does this play out in our everyday lives, and um, how does it affect people? And I guess when I look at it, it, it seems clear to me, with everything that's currently going on in the world at this moment. Um, that it's pretty obvious that many Christians don't have a clear view of who God is. Um, it's obvious by their actions. It's obvious by the things they say. Um, it's obvious how, what their relationship must be like with God because it's um, just the actions that you see Christians taking in, in my point of view. And I'm not talking about all Christians, but uh you know, there's just a, a generality that seems to be happening within the American churches where they have a, I guess I'd call it a very low view of who God is. Um, that, uh, you know, this has been going on, I think, for a while, but you see, you see, you've seen a lot of churches where it's like a lot of the preaching is just, well, God is merciful, God is kind, and certainly He is all those things. I mean, certainly kind and merciful, but there's a lack of, God's justice and God's holiness and God's um, power and God's might. And uh, it it seems to me that Christians are um, missing to a large degree that that side of who God is. Um, Because it's, you know, I'll just give you an example. Let's look at the coronavirus, for example. Well, God must be perfectly fine with you sitting at home and cowering in your house and, you know, not coming to church and not worshiping him. And, you know, God's loving. He's kind. He understands that. Well, 
Maybe he doesn't understand that. <laughs> Maybe your lack of faith and your lack of willingness to worship him angers him. Maybe he's angry at you. Is that mm -hmm. a possibility? I, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're afraid to talk about that. It seems to me in the American churches and uh, today, we're afraid to talk about the fact that God might actually be angry at you and you're not doing the right thing. Now, I don't know if I know what the right thing is, but I think there's a possibility that maybe we're not doing the right thing. Um, maybe our churches um, need to get a better view of who God is. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's something that, you know, that's just one example, but I think there's lots of examples um, that we could look at. And it's just not the coronavirus. I, like I said, I think this has been going on for quite a long time. Um, within Christian American Christian churches and churches throughout the world. It's not just here. Um, but I think you can see a, a different, a different view of who God is many times in churches that have been persecuted. You know, you look at uh, the churches in China and the underground churches um, who are meeting when, you know, their life is in constant danger or the North Korea. I mean, we don't even have any idea really because it's such a secretive country exactly what's going on, but you have uh, possibly millions of Christians in that country who, if they're found out, you know, they're gonna be thrown in some concentration camp, many of which uh, apparently have been. Um, and I think maybe the lack of persecution that uh, up until recently has happened to American churches has caused us to become uh, maybe complacent. Um, and have a an improper view of who God is and what our responsibility is to God. So those are just some thoughts that maybe I had. I don't know, you know, what, what direction we want to go with vision. Vision can be pretty big, and there's a lot of different, uh, I think, angles you could look at it from. But that's kind of what came to my mind when I thought about, um, you know, a 2020 vision of God in a world where we have seems like chaos in our cities and uh, just a, a total. Um, lack of respect of authority um, going on in our country and even from our leaders who say seem to be saying this is okay um, this is a good thing um, and it's like they're taking they're taking God's truth and just you know completely twisting it around or ignoring it altogether mm. yeah so do you do you have a vision of who God is is it legitimate or is is the God you're worshiping a figment of your imagination you just kind of made up some characteristics following the way you want. Well, I, I think I think that there comes a day in your Christian life where the questions stop. Uh, I really do. I, I think, and I'm, I'm just speaking from my own experience, to truly know that you've grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the way you ought to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I think about, I think about Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, where it, it starts getting in there again about Abraham and Isaac and he speaks there in verse 17, 18. He talks about, um, you know, Abraham offered up Isaac. But but there in verse, I think it's either 18 or 19, he says these words. The very first word is this, concluding that God is able. Uh, I, I can only speak for myself. I'm there. I I have completely concluded. And I, and I have to be reminded of this. This is what keeps me. This is what keeps me fresh. This is what keeps I've concluded, coronavirus, First Baptist Church decline, whatever. Uh, you know, a young man, uh, 16 years old, trying to figure out his place in this world in the midst of, of, of complete 
Xbox influence and all this kind of thing. You know, uh, a lot of challenges parent right, to parenting right now, you know, and some of that's my own decision and choices. But, you know, I'm just concluding that God is able. And, I, and maybe that sounds like a churchy pastor answer for me. That's where I live. I live there because Abraham concluded that God was able, and then it says this, to raise the dead. And so there comes a day, I believe, in your Christian life, if your vision is going to be what it needs to be, the questions stop. We stop questioning God. We start doubting God. We stop. We stop. We just, we just, we, we quit with the questions. And I'm not saying don't ask them. God invites them. But in your heart and your mind, if you haven't truly settled, I know the, the, the God of the Bible. I've trusted him as my personal savior. I've I've entered into a personal relationship with him. There's nothing whatsoever that can disturb disturb that, dis- disrupt that. And I'm not talking about, you know, pie in the sky and the by and by. We all struggle. I fail God lots. But I've just concluded, no matter what you face, Wayne, God is able. He has shown himself so real to me in, in this journey in my life. I, I, uh, I have a little boy named Matthew. And I think God does this. I, this is what God does. I have a little boy named Matthew who was born three pounds, eight ounces, and was non-responsive for seven minutes in a little town called Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, God, why did you have us at Sioux, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Why, why did you have us there? So here we are having this little baby boy, but yet you find out you're in a hospital that has three intensive cares for babies, three levels of intensive care for babies. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about that. But yet, here I am. My wife has just had this baby. The doctors turned to Amber and I both and have shook their heads no. Matthew's lifeless. There's no breath. He's purple. You know, I'm on the floor on my knees. And all I said was, as I'm on my knees with tears running down my face, my wife is just hysterical in the bed. All I said was, show yourself. That's it. Show yourself. I've concluded that you're able. Show yourself. And seven minutes later, I pick up the video camera because of Matthew's screaming at the top of his lungs. God is able. And I've seen it again and again and again and again in my life, and I long to see it. I'm addicted to it. Well, and that's, you know, the experience of Job. I had heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes and repent in dust and ashes. Um, I'll be talking about that a little bit this Sunday from um, Job chapter 42. Um, But, you know, it's one thing to have a vision of God on paper, a vision of God that is... um, it's, it's a principled vision, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a doctrine. It's another yep. thing uh, to have a practical, uh, applicable, obedient vision of God. And that's where, look, I don't doubt that God is there. I don't doubt that he is good. I don't doubt that he is able. I don't doubt that he cares, those kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying in some experience, I don't have questions like you just said, but uh, yes, I have concluded those things about God myself through the principles of his word, through the practice, practice of his word and him revealing himself to me in my life. But 
once you once you're on the the journey moving forward in what you perceive to be God's work building his kingdom in the hearts and minds of women men women boys and girls then there are nuances in the journey it's like hey paul says i'm going to go over here and minister and the holy spirit says in a dream no you're not <laughs> you're going right. to go here instead right so that's where the vision of who god is and what he's trying to do in 2020 sometimes gets unclear with me let me give you a couple of examples then you guys can speak to it i love rick warren i don't know that much about him i get a lot of his stuff secondhand but i've read some of his stuff and and uh I think he's a great man of God. I also love John MacArthur. Okay. I believe he's a great man of God. I believe God used him. Listening to their view of God's vision for how the church is to function in 2020, their view is very different. Rick, Rick Warren's perspective when it comes to strategy seems to be, and I'm oversimplifying, seems to be figure out where the center centers are and what their perspective is and go speak their language just as fluently as you possibly can. Okay. Now that's an oversimplification, but that seems to be kind of the route he takes. John MacArthur is like, this is the church of the living God. This is the body of Christ. We are here to worship him. We're going to worship him with such uh, genuineness and holiness and, and truth and passion that the world will see that and say, there's nothing we have that can compare to that. Yep. And those are not, I'm not saying they're contrary vi visions, but they're not equal focuses or foci. I don't know the right, right word there. Yeah. Obviously the church can worship God and should, that's what we're here for. And the church can edify, you know, we can edify one another and build each other up and we can reach the lost. And so there's, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a balance in all of those things. They all have a priority. But when you listen to those two guys, the things they thunder about are very different in 2020, right? So that's where I struggle with where, where is my focus supposed to be when you got two really spirit-filled men, apparently it seems to me to be. And yet, and of course, God can have a different vision for different guys to to some degree, the, the nuance, you know, clearly God's vision for Paul was not to go baptize a bunch of people. At least apparently it wasn't, you know, it was to preach the gospel and somebody else is doing that. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about baptism. And then to talk about some of the stuff that, that Patrick brought up here, currently some pastors in their churches are focused on full cooperation with, at least, at least it seems this way, all the political and social demands and pressures of the current cultural situation specifically with the coronavirus and also now with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and so on and so forth. So some churches seem to be cooperating just as far as they can and, and seem to believe that this is the route God wants them to take. And they have good reasons. I listen to them. Some of the reasons sound legitimate. Some pastors and churches are bucking hard against this thing and, and publicly and sometimes with purposeful controversy and with great abrasiveness, it's kind of in your face, you know, um, I won't name any, but I could. <laughs> and then uh. others uh, seem to look for a more balanced approach. I'm trying to have this approach here at Grace. Um, maybe that's my personality. I tend to be a people pleaser and want to make everybody happy. So, you know, maybe that's just that coming out. Maybe we don't have a balanced approach. I'm not sure. But the real question is, what is God's vision for his church in 2020? Can we see it clearly? What is God trying to do? Is he just trying to get Donald Trump back in office? You know, is he, does God want COVID-19 to go away? Does he want it to last? 
You know, is it, is it, is if, if I pour my energy, time and effort into uh, maintaining civility in our culture, is that where he wants me pouring my time, energy and effort? Is it just physical safety? Patrick kind of pointed to the, pointed out that a lot of Christians, that seems to be their understanding of what God wants for them. Just stay healthy and stay safe, right? That's the end of the end of the line. It's all that matters. Um, is it, look, right now in Dorchester County and in Maryland, probably all across the United States, educating our kids is, is, a, is a struggle for those who have their kids in public school. You know, what exactly is going on here? Uh, n- never mind the corona part, just the, you know, the curriculum part. Um, or is God's vision for us preaching the gospel, discipling people? Um, I'm not sure where always I should be putting the focus. That's a confession. That's the truth. And if I, as the pastor, am not always sure, what can I expect my, my people, the sheep in the pasture, to be thinking? You mentioned um, two pastors, Rick Warren and John MacArthur. And I've listened to both of them, and I think when I listen to them, I, I say, well, it seems to me that we need to be doing both of those things. It's, it's not necessarily one or the other. We, we absolutely need to be reaching the lost, as Rick Warren, I think, is trying to do. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't think that means catering to the lost, um, which uh, I think sometimes we can go too far. Um, sometimes we, you know, this isn't just the coronavirus, but well before this, sometimes some churches, and just in my view, maybe have gone a little too far. Maybe they've started to compromise some values, some biblical values, when just in an effort to reach the lost. And I, I don't think Jesus, in fact, I know Jesus never compromised any of his values, uh, any any biblical truth to reach the lost. Uh, certainly, he did what was necessary to reach the lost, and I, I think he's our example, right? Um, he certainly went to where the lost were. He went to where the sinners were, right? He hung out with the sinners. We should be doing the same thing, but I'm not sure I see that. You know, I don't know what Rick Warren's church is doing, so I really have no idea, you know, how, how they're going about that. Um, I know for a while they were meeting in in the houses. They had turned their small groups into the, to the focus, I think. Gotcha. Which there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I I don't, I don't see a problem with changing methods, right. To reach people. But I think if we start compromising on um, and we start putting our safety ahead of reaching the lost, if we start acting like the world does, that says your health and your safety are more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're compromising values. You're compromising what God said, which is, you know, make your body a living sacrifice every day, right, for his purposes and to worship him, to glorify him, and to, you know, accomplish his mission. Um, and if we are putting our lives ahead of accomplishing God's mission, which, in other words, if we're trying to do, if, if our safety is a higher priority than God is, uh, then we've made ourselves an idol. Um, we put ourselves in front of God. Yep. And to me, as the Christian church, we can't do that. And we can't be seen uh, as as doing that. And I think to me, that's what John MacArthur has made, you know, come out and is making clear that you can put me in jail, you can arrest me, but that's not going to stop me from preaching and, and performing, you know, God's mission. Um, and I think we all need to be 100% clear on that despite that we may do it in different ways, you know, uh, Rick Warren may do it in a, a different way and a different method. And there's nothing wrong with doing it a different way. 
but I think we've got to be careful that we're not just doing it in that way because we want to keep ourselves safe uh, or there's fear. And I've heard a lot of times fear of, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the coronavirus, um, but I'm afraid of what if, uh, what if, um, you know, we have church and, you know, a bunch of people at the church get sick. I'm afraid for them or I'm afraid of uh, what uh, the world may say uh, or accuse me of because I had church and, you know, a bunch of people got sick. Well, they're going to, you know, make me look really bad. Right. Which See, I'm not afraid. Is the case. See, I've said similar things. I'm not afraid. I'm interested. In other words, it matters to me. I, I, I care first for the perception of God. How does God, at least I, I'm supposed to care first. I believe I care first about how does God view my decisions. But I also care about how I'm perceived in the world, the testimony of Christ, the testimony of the church. Now, how that applies and how that's interpreted, obviously, is, is something that's up for debate. But I, at least for me, I'm, I, don't, I don't believe I'm afraid of people thinking, you know, you, you, you Christians don't love anybody. You don't care for anybody because you're putting everybody at risk. Um, I'm not afraid of that perception, but I'm aware that if we become a, a hub for the coronavirus here at Grace Baptist Church, that I have not done the name of the church any favors in the eyes of the community. At least that's the way I'm interpreting it. I could be wrong. Yeah, and I think Paul spoke to that where he said um, we we do need to uh, be aware of what uh, the community thinks, and we do need to hold ourselves to a very high standard. But at the same time, I think when uh, he's not going to concern himself with all the people that are against him, obviously he had a huge number of folks that, uh, <laughs> well, were trying to kill him. They were so far against him. Yeah, but know? why were they against him? Uh, because he continued to preach Jesus Christ. Right. Right. It was his doctrine of Christ that offended them, not his strategy for avoiding a health crisis. In other words, we haven't changed our message about Christ. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I think when uh, you're not meeting, it it doesn't really matter. I guess that comes back to the debate of you know online what assemblies and whether that's yeah. an assembly or whether that's a meeting. So I won't I won't digress into that. Yeah. Um, and I would back up from that even further to where is the heart. Does it bother you that you're missing the assembly? Does it bother you that you're not fellowshipping with other Christians? Is this something you're hungry for? Or are you relieved, right? You're like, thank, I got an excuse. I don't have to go to church. Hallelujah. You know, there's some of that out there. Well, and I just read an article, um, and I, I think uh, you've mentioned this before. Uh, another pastor was saying this, that, uh, you know, it's like one third of the people who are attending church have not returned and may never return. Um, we don't know what's going to happen for sure. Um, but you got to ask, that's 30 some percent of members, supposed members of a church. What do you mean you're just not coming back? You call yourself a follower of Christ and you're just not going to return to church because of it's too, it's too dangerous, what? right? It's too dangerous. That's nonsense, and, right? That's I, nonsense. I know. <laughs> and to quote, and to quote Woody Bates, uh, uh, from social media, he said, if the only thing you're quarantining from is church, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, I mean, uh, got, straightforward. I'd have, I'd have to ask. I mean, I know some of, some of the folks, maybe they're retired, so it doesn't apply to them, but you know, there's some that certainly are still going to work. You right. put work as a higher priority than church. Again, mm -hmm. that's still not okay. According to God, right. right? Whether it's coronavirus or anything else. Right. Right. Set so, a straight line. Uh, you know, 
Well, I don't, I, I don't have all the answers. I, I, I would never be as wise as Rick Warren or wise as, as John MacArthur and just Wayne Ayer. And uh, I think that's why Paul said Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, which, he, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, Wayne, you just sound so overconfident. I just am. I, I, not, not in a cocky way. I just, you know, I'm just, I think that, that, that I didn't grow up in America. I grew up in Canada. We stay relaxed. We just, we just don't let you. That's why you never hear anything out of Canada. We don't care. <laughs> just let's, let's get over this thing and, you know, and let's go have a poutine. You know I mean? That's, that's just where things are at. And I'm thankful. How for about that. what? Go have a poutine. A poutine is a it, 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 glory to God. You're going to feel Jesus on this now. Poutine is a bowl of fries, okay, covered in uh, it, it cover, no, covered in um, um, mozzarella cheese, okay. topped with hot brown turkey gravy. Is it that is, a Canadian? No, that's the French dish. Poutine. Okay. Yeah, you guys have you guys have French things you do here in Canada, or I mean here in the United States. Yeah, you do it. I'm you from do Alabama. It. French no, is the no, only you, the only time we use the word French is French fries. So. No, you still do it. You you mow the lawn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, no, I I I, I don't want to sound overconfident, but I but I just you know, uh, I, I, Paul, you brought up Paul. Uh, he was willing to, to oftentimes admit his own limitations, right? I mean, how many times does Paul bring us back to the flesh lack and to the fact that he doesn't have what it takes, you know? Think of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, or 20 and 21. He says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. I mean, think about all three of those words. He, he, he was really trying to po- point push something home and and the church at ephesus started with how many 12 right so god did this unbelievable work there with just 12 and i've had a lot of preachers tell me that and they i think that that's a you know, i think that's a sellout well jesus spent his whole entire life with 12 you know i i guess our church will be okay no that's not the goal it's still the goal to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in it, it is. And, and the fact of the matter is, it's a difficult thing when you got to try to go out into the highways and byways and compel your own people to come back in. You know, we still got a mission to do here. And we still got a, we still got men and women, boys and girls going to go out into lost, endless eternity without Christ that you have an influence with that I don't have an influence with that, that, that I need you to, to reach with the gospel and, and to get them to come to some kind of decision in their life because of what they see in you and all they're seeing right now is an anemic Christian. Yeah. That's what they're seeing. I think that it all comes back again to origin. We've turned God into this mystic Santa Claus who shows up in our (laughs) lives. And, you know, as long as he's a good Santa Claus giving us every good and perfect gift that comes down from above, we're a happy camper. But you know, where did coronavirus come from? And and why is it in our lives? If if you know, and it didn't surprise him, did it? No, he's not. He's not popping Maylocks, wondering what he's going to do. You know, he he he's got this thing. He's got this thing under control. And I realized, you know, that my dependency, if it's in my efforts, I told my deacons this last night, fellas. If you're looking to me for answers, if you're looking to Gordon for answers, you know, we're praying to the same God you're praying to. Let's 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 seek the Lord together. And um, 
So I think that what God is doing in my life and what God is doing in Rick Warren's life, what God's doing in John MacArthur and David's and Patrick's, it's all personal. I agree. And I can't perceive the precision of what it is, but I sense and feel and see an yep. urgency that he has yep. worked in me through this. It's yep. coming through Good. my preaching. Good. You know, Pat, Patrick even commented a few weeks ago. Good. I can't give the exact quote, but basically he's saying, man, you're getting kind of mean lately. You know, like I'm getting Go really ahead. harsh. Go ahead, Patrick. So, Patrick, you know what you said. Go ahead and tell everybody what you said. I don't know. I, I, I remember. don't remember off the top of my head. I think I said well, meaner than a skunk or something, wasn't it? <laughs> something like that, man. Yeah. I think I liked it. It was a comment, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he never thinks I'm rough enough, but why? Uh, <laughs> Little Jack Hiles, get it going. <laughs> yeah, but the the question ultimately for the podcast, the vision or imagination, can we see clearly what? Uh, and with sharp definition, can we see clearly and with sharp definition what it is that God wants us doing right now? Okay, now let, let's look at Patrick's situation. Yep. Patrick was cruising along, raising support to get to Africa. I thought he was doing it at a at a, an amazingly good and fast clip. And then 2020 happened, <laughs> and his objectives seemed to get a little fuzzy. And I'm not saying from from me looking at him saying, ooh, I see what he thinks his objectives are. That's not what I'm saying. He may see clearly. I'm saying me looking at him yep. and his situation, I'm like, well, I could see clearly where he was going, how it was working there. But now things are a little out of focus. I mean, why would God keep him from getting to Africa as soon? You know what I'm saying? So that's where uh, the rubber meets the road for me. And I'm like, what is it? Is God trying to get us all to do something specific that we're missing out on? Is there, and I agree, there's a tailored vision, Yep. Uh, which is kind of what you just said, Wayne, if, if yep. I understood you correctly. Takes, about right. Uh, Brian Moss reminded us often, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Yeah, so, amen so, to that. Yeah, and I think for me, and, 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 and this would be the same thing I would say for Patrick. I would say this for you, David. I would say this. I don't think that you should marry anything right now. Date everything. Mm. Date every idea. Date every thought. Date home. Ch you know, what, what, if, what if God's design is that he wants us to completely go back to the church at Acts? And uh, unless we're willing to go that direction, completely go back to the church at Acts, and have house churches, and you know, and that's the direction God wants us to do. Well, hey, um, we'll ha we'll go that way if that's what He wants us to do. But right now, you know, and Gordon and I, Pastor Gordon Knock and I, are talking about that continuously staying open to God. He never changes. He's not going to change. I, the God, I am God. I change not. Malachi three six. And so we we know He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that, but. I think that that's for me, leadership wise, that's the greatest advice that I've received from uh, seasoned pastors, seasoned guys who speak into my life. And, and I'm thankful for them. The Paul to Timothy relationships is they've said, Wayne, don't marry nothing. Just date everything. So, so Wayne seems to have a, a fairly clear vision of where he is right now and what God's doing in his life. What about you, Patrick? What, what do you think this, this pause, do you feel like it has been a pause? I assume you do. And what do you feel like God has been trying to teach you or do with you in this, this uh, roadblock of your journey to the Gambia? You know, I don't know if it's been a pause is quite the way I would describe it. Um, God's done quite a lot of things over the past few months for sure. 
Um, I think one of the things he's taught me is that, um, well, really to stop relying on my own effort, right? When things go really well and, you know, you put a lot of effort in and you see really good results that come from all the effort, you start, you know, it's very easy to start thinking, oh, look at all the things I've done. Look at, you know, how well I've, I've, uh, I've uh, performed all these tasks and, you know, raised all this support. Now it's uh, uh, God showed me very clearly, you know, I'll put in maybe effort to, uh, you know, get church appointments or, or things of that nature. Um, and this was just a recent example. I sent out like 700 and some emails to uh, church pastors and um, very uh, virtually no good responses, at least the first day. Right. A lot of pastors saying, well, we're just getting back into the swing of things and still not sure what's going on. Um, and then I get a call out of the blue from another pastor who I didn't contact whatsoever, never talked to before, uh, who found my information at ABWE and says, hey, will you come out to our church uh, in a month? And uh, so I think that's just God going, uh, appreciate your effort. And uh, here's what I have uh, for you anyways. So uh, and, and that's continued to happen. Uh, and then. Later on, uh, just recently, I got a call from a church I did contact, but it was like God wanted to make sure that I realized that, you know, it was it was his uh, it's his doing his efforts. It's not my work. Um, and so he's continued to do that. We actually have uh, two churches currently that we've never even met anybody at the church, but the missions committee contacted us and they're currently uh, going through the process to approve us into their budget. Um, even though I don't think we're ever going to go there in person, at least uh, not right now. Um, so he's continued to work through those things. And one of the things I've realized is um, through this whole process is, uh, you know, my timeline is not God's timeline, you know, and, you know, he doesn't need me over in the Gambia. He can accomplish his purposes any way he wants to accomplish them. Um, but he chooses to use me and whenever he chooses to put our family there, that's when we will, uh, you know, we'll be faithful as best we can and, um, you know, preach the gospel uh, to folks who need to hear it. But, you know, when that happens, that's his choice. And all I can do right now is be faithful. And I'm sure he's got plenty of things planned for me in the meantime, uh, to do right here in Herlock, Maryland. So, um, I, I guess I have a real piece about it. I'm just not you know, I'm not concerned or anxious or, you know, worried about when God's going to put us there. He'll put us there when he wants us to be there. You know, he chooses to keep the airports closed for, you know, the rest of my lifetime. Then that's his choice. So, yeah, I mean, my dad gets married today. You know, my mom went to be with the Lord in July of, of, uh, uh, last year. And my dad met a girl and he gets married today. I can't be there. I'm going to watch it on Facebook later this afternoon. You know, it's just can't cross the border, can't go there. You know, God, what are you doing? Like, uh, what are you up to? I, Adrian Rogers, you know the name Adrian Rogers? Oh, yes. A, Adrian Rogers, uh, seasoned preacher, said it, said it this way. I, I wrote this quote down for today. He said, uh, we can't do it without him, and he won't do it without us. Hmm. And again, that comes back to Paul's words. You know, we love the now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. That's 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 Patrick. That's what God's been doing in the newly abundant. You know, these moments. But He also says, "Worketh in us." Yeah. That, that that's the key. You know, I still need I still need the Balaams, right? I still I still need the donkeys. I still need 
I still need people. I still need to be able to work somewhere. And that's what the biggest struggle is. You know, I don't have any extras. I'm leading a turnaround church. I don't have any extras. So I can't go down to Lynn Haven or I can't go down to, to the Glad Tidings Assembly of God and say, hey, guys, you know, <laughs> some of my people have dropped off. Come up here and join me. I need my task force back. I, I, need, I need our people back. You know, I need our mission support back. Uh, when, when you walked away from what you walked away from, you walked away from commitments that you made as a church that we were going to do together for God's glory. And somewhere along the way, your vision of God is distorted. Your, your, or your view of God is somewhere distorted your vision of God. And I think that that's what it, that's why I want to talk about this today. I think that all of this, the drop off, the lack, all of it, there's still, Rick Warren said the other day, there's still 21.5% of people that want to hear the gospel in your circle of influence. So 21.5% of the people that you are still doing life with still want to know who is Jesus and who is Jesus to you. So mm. there's still lots of mission opportunity out there for the gospel. And, and that's one of the biggest struggles for me is, you know, I, I believe in all the things that God's doing in Patrick's life because I've seen the Lord do those kind of things. But now I've lost the task force. When he shows up in a big way, I don't get anybody to help us get the job done. And that's been the biggest struggle in, uh, in this journey. I know I'm never alone, and I thank the Lord for that. I'm, ne I'm never, never alone. But he does choose to work through you. He offers this glorious opportunity to engage in the work of the ministry while experiencing this awesome power at work through us and around us. And I want to join him, and I want others to join him. And, you know, that's why he comes back to verse 21, and he says, Unto him be glory in the church, right? By Christ Jesus through all ages. In other words, he, Paul goes full cycle. It's unto him in verse 20, and it's still unto him in verse 21, and it's for the church's good and for his glory. You know, bring glory to the Lord Jesus. And I don't have people right now that want to link arms together and bring him glory together. Well, what is required in a steward? Right. Faithfulness, right? right. And yeah. that's always the case, no matter what the circumstance. And for sure, you know, there's some equations that we've used in ministry that now are being put to the test. Yep. Uh, we say that uh, people who are in trials or in transition are more open to the gospel. Right. Well, there's a, there's more people than ever right now in the middle of trials and transitions. Yep. So we just got to we got to be willing to do what it takes to to reach out to them and minister to them. I'll just say this and I got to wrap this thing up. But March, April, May. Yes, I felt like my hands were tied. It's true. Uh, and, and a part of me, because of my personality and kind of what I'd been doing for the years previous, I was breathing a sigh of relief. I was like, finally, I don't have to work, you know, sun up to sundown six days a week, you know, without stopping all the time. I can, I can breathe a little bit. But once June hit and we started meeting outside June, July, and August, my days have been full with people. So my, my experience is a little bit different than yours, Wayne. It, it's not the same people. And there are some people that I haven't had very good access to. But there's, there, again, there's, there's more than enough to keep me busy all the time. Now, I feel it's different, but I feel like a lot of my previous norms are back in place. Uh, mm -hmm. The statistics don't look the same, that's for sure. But I do feel like a lot of the things that uh, 
that I was busy doing in the work of the Lord, in obedience to the Spirit, in obedience to the Word, have have uh, returned in full force, at least in, in my life. So I don't Here's sense. Go ahead. Let me give you something to shout the victory about. You pastor, sure. an, you pastor an established church. Right. I pastor a turnaround one. Yeah. So Definitely so, different. Yeah. And so as you go to the pulpit Sunday morning and you look out at your people, you're looking out at, at, at a people that are they're in, they're in it to win it. I mean, I hate to use that statement, but it's true. They're in it to win it. They 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 they're there. They're committed. You know, they're young. It's just, just like you said, Woody Bates a moment ago. First Baptist Church Georgetown is hopping. They're they're yeah. killing it. They're getting it done. Woody's an amazing leader. Uh, Joel is an unbelievable associate. And uh, it's not just a plug because I just preached there, but they they just they 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 that church is full of young families. And I went to church Saturday night. Uh, at another church just down the street from them that I, probably a thousand seat auditorium. And at seven o'clock at night, I, my wife and I are driving by from this, from this uh, barbecue place we went to, going back to the church to stay the night in the prophet's chamber and preach the next day. And she's like, you know, and I said to her, I said, let's just go check that church out. I mean, look at all those people. Where are they going to? What are they going to experience? And they're right there in Delaware, hundreds of young families in that sanctuary sitting, anticipating, waiting for church to start. And it just gave me such a fire in my soul that, okay, 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 okay. This thing maybe is not as far gone as I thought it was. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, your, your vision of God determines your, everything else in your Christian life. And so, you know, let's just keep, let's just keep, you know, encouraged in this thing. And I think, you know, I think that that Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, don't be weary in well-doing and do season you'll reap if you faint not. I've had lots of weary moments, just like just like you're saying. I appreciate your candidness, David. I appreciate you being willing to say, as a seasoned man of God, as a pastor in an established church, this has not been a walk in the park. Because I'm hearing a whole lot of that. Hey, uh, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's great. I love all of that. But practically, just like practice, like Dave, like Patrick said, how's that play out in our lives? What's right. that? What's that look like on Monday? Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't that right, Patrick? Isn't that kind of what you were saying? You know, you can preach. You can preach it on Sunday, but what's that look like on Monday? So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as I look at the folks in our church and what we've been through and where we are in 2020. I do see something real positive. I see uh, the people who have been active in leadership and service uh, and faithful in attendance uh, one way or another. I see them asking questions, you know, what were we doing? Why were we doing it? Uh, What was being accomplished? How effective were we there? They may not be wording the questions like that, but they're willing to change based upon, you know what? We were just going through the motions anyway. You know, this VBS program we've been doing for years, there are better ways to do what our actual goal is. Yep. So there can be a purging of programs and a purging of people uh, and certainly a purging of purpose in our hearts uh, through this. And so I do rejoice. I, I certainly have been drawn and brought closer to my wife and my children uh, through this. Uh, we, we converse way more now than we did back in January and February, all of yep. us. Yep. Uh, we've learned that when push comes to shove, these are the people that are going to be there. Right. And uh, so God's done some, some pretty powerful things in my heart and life. Uh, it's been disappointing at times. There've been times when I was like, man, I really thought I was doing something significant with this program or with this practice. And 
it disappeared and it's like nobody missed it. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess it wasn't accomplishing that much if nobody even noticed it's gone, you know. So it, it's caused me to uh, have to depend on God and definitely to be willing to evaluate and be willing to trim out things that, uh, you know, I was probably doing I was doing for God, but God wasn't doing anything in me or in anybody else. Mm-hmm. It was wood, hay, and stubble. So anyway, thanks for listening to Grace or Grit. Thank you, Wayne and Patrick, for spending time with me today. Hey. Pray for God's richest blessings on both of you, on your families, and on your ministries, as well as on our listeners. By God's grace, may we trust Him completely in all things today and every day, whether times are easier or harder. Amen. Amen. Grace or grit, huh? I love that. That's great. Amen. May the Lord give me both. Amen.